So, a mother repeatedly told her little boy to sit down. The boy (laughs) continued to stand, disobeying his mother. I'm sure this has never happened to any of us, right? Finally, the mother went to him and (laughs) plopped him down in a chair. I like that word plopped. It sounds so passive. Plopped him down in a chair. Furious, the boy said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. (laughs) And then I'm like, I think this is a quote from my mother about me. Charles Simmons says this. He says, I think this is a great quote. He says, no man has the right to do as he pleases except when he pleases to do right. (laughs) No one has the right to do as they please. And let me give you one more here. (laughs) This is from a few years ago. It says, at least a quarter of a million, up to possibly a million citrus trees in California suffer from something called stubborn disease, according to Dr. E.C. Calavan from the University of California. He's a plant pathologist. While the cause of stubborn disease in citrus is not known, the cause of stubborn disease in mankind is no mystery. This ailment can be traced back to the Garden of Eden. We're in Jonah chapter 1. Break out your Bibles. If you're in Jonah, go to chapter 1. We use the New American Standard Bible here at the Rock Community Church. If you're on a phone, that's what you want to look for, the New American Standard Bible, or you can grab one in the seat in front of you. Take it home if you need it. I got a lot to cover. I'm thinking we, midnight? We'll get out of here by midnight. I'm, I'm kidding. It'll be 11. Um, we got because I'm going to do an intro. I'm going to do a little bit of an overview of the book, and then all of uh, chapter one. Um, good stuff, man. Oh, I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Verse one of Jonah, chapter one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, "This, arise." Jonah, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Imagine that. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Oh, my goodness. And so the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. And then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God. And they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten the ship for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laid down, and falls asleep. Sound asleep. Verse 6, so the captain approached him and said, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. And so they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah, which means Jonah, guilty. And they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. And he interestingly says, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. You sure? Then the men became extremely frightened and they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of God because he had told them as much. 
And so they said to Jonah, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they couldn't, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. The harder they rowed, the harder the storm came. And then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. And so they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Church, let's pray. Almighty God, we give you permission to have your way with us. We are just going to step aside from all the things that we're entrenched in, all of our rebellion, our apprehension. We're just going to step aside and we're going to give you permission to speak to us through your holy word, through this amazing story of Jonah. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak to us loudly, clearly, often, and that you would encourage us as you do to be bold for you, to live for you, to be shaped by your holy word. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. So let me give you a little overview. God, we know this, right? God chose Israel from the very beginning to be a nation of missionaries. God chose Israel from the very beginning to be a people that were missional, to be missionaries, to proclaim both in word and in lifestyle his message of truth to the world. Word and deed, word and lifestyle, lips and life. God also chose from within his people, Israel, special men to fulfill certain missionary tasks. These prophets first encouraged Israel to be holy and righteous. That's my role with you. And they also were to preach to the nations the message of repentance from sin. That's what prophets did to make sure that God's people were holy and then to lead by example to preach holiness to the rest of the nations. So, Where does Jonah come from in the Old Testament? So some of you know this, some of you don't, it's okay. But the Old Testament is really, it's 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. The first five books of the Old Testament are what we call the law. The next 12 books are what's called history. It's in that, that, that's the order that the Old Testament is divided into. Then the next five books are wisdom or poetry. Then the next five books are the major prophets. And the last 12 books are what's called the minor prophets. And that's where you find Jonah. If you don't know where to find Jonah, here's a clue. It's right after Obadiah. (laughs) Isn't that a great help? (laughs) Jonah prophesied or was a prophet at the same time uh, as both Hosea and Amos. They were contemporaries. Jonah (laughs) is the best biblical illustration of what a missionary should not be. So if you ever want to know what not to do, this is the book for you. We learn more about one man's poor attitude towards spiritual service and wrong methodology in ministry than any other scriptural account of a person divinely called to a specific task. If anybody did it worse, you won't find anybody doing it worse than Jonah. Isn't that amazing? You think you're bad, 
Wait till we unpack all four chapters of Jonah. Nineveh, where he was supposed to go, was 500 miles east of Israel. Tarshish was 2,500 miles west. God says, go there. And he says, "Uh uh-uh. He didn't stay where he was at and say no. He goes 2,500 miles the opposite direction. You know who that sounds like? Some of us. You get what I'm saying? God tells us to do something. We don't just say no and stay where we're at. We actually do sometimes the opposite of what God calls us to. We go as far from what God asks us to do as we possibly can. Jonah was the only Old Testament prophet to attempt to run away from God. Not smart. But he was also only one of four Old Testament prophets referred to by Jesus Christ. Look at Luke 11.32. This is pretty powerful. The men of Nineveh, Jesus said, will stand up with this generation at the judgment and they will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jonah did something great once he chose to obey. The book of Jonah shows us how deeply concerned God is for those that don't follow him. He says, go to Nineveh. They're a wicked people. God is deeply concerned for those that do not follow him. He's concerned about us. Don't get me wrong. If we follow Jesus Christ, if we follow God, he's concerned about us. And he's also deeply concerned about those that still do not follow him. But it also tells us, the book of Jonah, how unconcerned Israel was about lost people. And it's personified in Jonah, in one person. Jonah represents the nation of Israel who had lost their way. That situation, perhaps, far too often parallels the church today. Christians are often as reluctant as Jonah to obey God's missionary call. We are to be missional. Churches are often as unconcerned about God's desire to reach the lost as Israel was. So, let me give you some context of Jonah, the time period. Israel, during Jonah's time period, Israel was continually under attack from the Assyrian Empire, whose capital was Nineveh. This culturally advanced city had a population of more than 600,000 people. It was a big town. But God was well aware of the wickedness that took place in Nineveh. It was a bloody people, full of fraud, lies, robbery, arrogance, sensuality, violence, witchcraft, idolatry, and the list goes on. Jonah was not about, he was not about to see this dreaded enemy repent. He didn't want any part of seeing them repent. He knew that if the Ninevites repented, that God would forgive them. Well, I don't want God to forgive them, so I don't want them to repent, so I'm not going there. I'm going 2,500 miles the opposite direction. Oftentimes, church, we too refuse to go, to go to someone and to speak to someone because we are actually more interested in their judgment and not repentance or restoration. It's true. Whether that's our brothers and sisters in Christ or those outside the faith, we're actually more interested in the bad that might happen to them than we are in their restoration and their repentance. God called a person, Jonah, 
to do what his people were unwilling to do. And he would accomplish his mission to the Ninevites while at the same time reprimanding his own people in the process. Yes, the story of Jonah is a bit more complex than Jonah surfing a big fish to a big town. It's more than that. The book of Jonah is not a story of someone. It's not a story of someone, but a story for someone. The book of Jonah is not a story of someone, but it's a story for someone. It's not a book of Jonah. It's not a story of Jonah, but it's for Israel. It's for the church. It's for you and you and you and you and you. It's for us. The book of Jonah is for God's church. As always, (laughs) do you know the Lord has the first word? And the Lord has the last word? I don't know if you know that. The book of Jonah starts off in verses 1 and 2, the word of the Lord. And it ends, verse 11 of chapter 4, where God closes and has the last word. In the book of Jonah, God has the first word, and God has the last word. In your life, God has the first word, and he has the last word. So my encouragement to you, I wonder, since the Lord has the first word and the last word, can we perhaps give him more of the middle? Can we just give him more of the middle? Don't fight him. Don't fight. Quit fighting God. He's going to have the first word and the last word, so just give him more of the middle so that we can live the abundant life that's promised to us in the Lord. So, here's some lessons or the message, if you will, of Jonah. Four kind of key takeaways from the book of Jonah. The the Lord's love and concern for all people. The Lord's love and concern for all peoples. Second, the Lord's reminder to Israel or the church of her missionary purpose. Three, the Lord's sovereignty in accomplishing his purposes. Hey, look, we're probably not going to have what it takes to stop God from doing what he wants to do. I don't know if you know that, right? And that's really a fantastic thing. He's going to accomplish his purposes, but he asks us to partake in that. And four, the response of the Ninevites served as the Lord's rebuke of his own people, Israel. So here's a twofold question, I guess, or a twofold challenge for us. The first one is, how are you and I then to function in the church? How do you and I individually function in the church? If this is true, if this letter, if this book is for the church, then the question becomes, how do you and I function in the church? And then the second question then is, how is the church to function in the world? How do you and I function in the church, and then how does our church function in the world? We link arms with so many of our brothers and sisters in different churches and different denominations. We're in it together. A couple of years ago, somebody said to I, I, did, I don't have, this is just off the, off the cuff a little bit, but somebody said to my wife at Biola, she works at Biola, and this gal works, and she says, she mentioned the church. I think she mentioned kindred. She says, yeah, you know, you know, your competition, she said to my wife. And it just made, us, it just made my wife grieve, right? Anyway. How is the church to function in the world? And lastly, for what it's worth, (laughs) there is historical evidence of whale sharks that have swallowed men who later were found alive in the shark, in the shark's stomachs, or the shark stomach. For what it's worth. Okay? However, 
<laughs> Does the story of Jonah need to be true of man? Do we need to verify? Do we need to know that some man lived in some stomach? Right? Does it need to be true of man in order to be true of God? Heck no, man. Heck no. So I would argue that the most amazing or unreal or shocking part of the book of Jonah is not Jonah in the big fish. <laughs> right? That's like, what? A man lived in the, in the stomach of a big fish? That's not the shocking part, the amazing part, the unreal part. Here's what's shocking or unreal or amazing. That the word of the Lord came to Jonah and he split. That's the shocking part of the book of Jonah. Verse 1 says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah and he said, get up and go somewhere. And verse 3 says he split. It says, but Jonah said, imagine, that's shocking. That to me is more of a miraculous, what? You did what? You said what to God? You went 2,500 miles in the opposite direction? It's not that he's in the stomach of a fish. The crazy part, the unreal part, is that he said no to God. When the word of the Lord came to him, he said no. It's crazy. That's what's miraculous about the book of Jonah is his response. All right, let's go through these 17 verses. Oh, this is so fun. So fun. You guys just want to be me right now. Verse 1. Let's read verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying this. Okay? What an interesting opening. What an interesting opening to this book. Do we read, now that we've already read all of chapter 1, do we read Jonah and say, oh, foolish Jonah? Probably. Oh, foolish Jonah. But here's where we need to be careful. The Lord could title a book after each one of us here with the same opening. The word of the Lord came to Dean. The word of the Lord came to Jeff. The word of the Lord came to Kim. Oh, I don't like to read that book. Let's talk about Jonah. How is the word of the Lord currently coming to you? And how are you responding? How is the word of the Lord coming to you, just like it came to Jonah? Is God done speaking? Is God done moving? Is God done acting? Are you in active service or are you in, on inactive? How do you say that? Inactive? and active, right? How is the word of the Lord currently coming to you? And when it does, <laughs> how are you responding? Maybe a better question is this. Is the word of the Lord even coming to you at all? Is the word of the Lord even coming to you at all? And when it does, I hope you respond. Verse 2. The Lord says, Arise. Go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. Their wickedness has come up before me. This word arise means to go at once. Go now. The word of the Lord comes to us, church, that we may be people of action. The word of the Lord comes to us. We don't do our devotions. We don't spend time in God's word to make us feel good. We spend time in his word so that we can be people of action. 
for the almighty God that has called his church to represent him to the nations. We are to be people of action. I wonder if you wonder. I wonder if you wonder where the Lord would have you to go or what the Lord would have you to do to move people from wickedness to righteousness. That's what verse two was talking about. I wonder if you wonder where the Lord would have you to go or what the Lord would have you to do in his church in order to move people from wickedness to righteousness. You could argue that's what we're here for, to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples to move people from wickedness to righteousness. And so I wonder if you wonder where the Lord would have you go or what the Lord would have you to do to be a part of that. Verse 3. But Jonah, oh man, but Jonah, oh no, don't start that way. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I mean, that's just so powerful. I'm going to go to Tarshish because I'm going to flee from the presence of God. Good luck with that, right? He's omnipresent, right? So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. (laughs) I would be interested to know how many times but Jonah has been written about us. I wonder, right? Do you get where I'm going with that? How many times has but Jonah been written of you? The Lord spoke to Jeff, but Jeff. The Lord spoke to Bill, but Bill didn't do what the Lord. I wonder how many times that would apply to us. The Lord spoke to me, but I. But I. When we ignore the word of the Lord, we flee from his presence as well. When we ignore the word of the Lord, we flee from his presence as well. That's what Jonah thought he was doing was trying to do. And then in this verse, this town, Tarshish, is mentioned three times. Jonah went to Tarshish. He went to Tarshish. He went to Tarshish. Three times it's mentioned. And so I wonder, where is your Tarshish? Where do you go? When the word of the Lord comes to you, when God speaks to you, when God challenges you, when God makes you uncomfortable, where is your Tarshish? (laughs) Where or how do you and I flee from the word of the Lord coming to us And he says to us, arise and go. Where do we go instead? What might that look like? Our our work, our family, our hobbies? Verse 4. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Look it. This is all I want to say. The Lord often hurls great things at us in order to break up anything that replaces him and his word. The Lord hurled a great wind and a great storm to break it up. And that's what the Lord does. He hurls great things at us, and we say, Lord, why? And he says, I'm breaking something up, man. I'm breaking something up. Verse 5, church. Then the sailors became afraid. Yeah. (laughs) And every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep, man. It's not possible that that's true, but it's true. Pretty sad that the sailors were afraid, but not Jonah. 
It's pretty sad that the sailors were afraid, but the one in rebellion was not even afraid. Have we gotten to that place where we no longer fear the Lord and his word? That's what Jonah was doing. He no longer, at least in this moment, no longer feared the Lord and his word. Have you got to that place where you no longer fear God's word? Where you no longer fear what God has to say to you? I hope not. Oftentimes, our, our action and our rebellion brings hardship to others. See, that's what Jonah's bringing hardship to others. So our action, our rebellion brings hardship to others while we have gone below, lain down, and fallen sound asleep. That's the picture here. Verse 6. So the captain approached him and said, how is it that you're sleeping? Get up, call on your God. These are most likely Phoenician sailors, and they were most likely polytheists. And he says, perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Perhaps, like Jonah, perhaps the word of the Lord, like it says in verse 1, perhaps the word of the Lord has come to you in a very specific way. And so the same response would apply to you as we read here in verse 6, where they say, how is it that you are sleeping? Perhaps God has spoken to you about something, and he's asking you to do something And so the same thing applies. I should be able to knock, knock, knock and say, hey, how is it that you're sleeping? How is it that you're sleeping with how the Lord has spoken to you? Hmm. Our actions and obedience with the Lord not only affect those that we're called to minister to. See, he was supposed to go minister to the Ninevites. So it not only affected the people he was supposed to minister to, but also those that you live with those around us. His disobedience was affecting the people he was supposed to go to, and it's affecting the people he's actually hanging out with. That's what our disobedience and our actions do. It it affects those that God has called us to minister to, but it also affects those that we live with. Verse 7. Each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. Whose fault is this? Who's to blame for our calamity? So they cast lots, and it was Jonah. You know what that means? Our disobedience finds us. Our disobedience finds us. It it, it points to us. It will always eventually point to us. Oh, you can run, but you can't hide. We may hide it from others for a while, maybe for a long time, but never from the Lord. It will find us. It'll point to us every time. We may not know how or when, but calamity does indeed come when we don't adhere to his word. Calamity will come. But what's cool is this calamity from the Lord is based upon his being for the people of Nineveh, right? So this calamity from God is coming because he's for the Ninevites, so sometimes God brings calamity and we say, Lord, what's with this calamity? He says, I, I'm for somebody. That's what the calamity is here for. You're getting calamity from me because I'm for the Ninevites. And so he fixes things because he's for us and he's for others. Mm. Verse 8, 
This is called the interrogation. Five questions in verse 8. They interrogate Jonah. I think it's fantastic. They said to him, tell us now. First question, on whose account is this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? From what people are you? It's like, easy. Five questions. And they say, tell us now. And they ask him five questions. Here's what I like about this verse. When is the best time to confess? Huh? A-S-A-P. They said in verse 8, tell us when does it say? Now. Confess. Now. You got something to confess? What are you waiting for? Tell us now. What's the problem, you rebellious dude? Now is the time to confess. And within this line of questioning, I wonder how we mirror this reality. What they're getting at, and let me clarify, they're, what they're saying is, are you living who you claim to be? They're asking him all these questions. They want to know if how he's living matches up with who he declares to be. If you fear, if you serve the God of Israel, what the heck are you doing disobeying him? That's ultimately what they're getting at. And so what they're saying is, does our behavior match our belonging? Does our behavior match? If we say we belong to Jesus Christ, if we say we belong to Yahweh, does our behavior match who we belong to? If I'm married to my wife, I belong to her in such a way, so my behavior should match my belonging to my wife. Verse 9. So he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. It's a great verse. It's problematic in the context of the book of Jonah because it doesn't seem like he fears God. It doesn't seem like that's who he serves. So Jonah in verse 9 lacks integrity. Jonah lacks integrity. He's not actually living out what he declares in verse 9. His life lacks integrity. See, the claims of his life don't match the aims of his life. See how cute that is? Yeah, it rhymes. Who knew? Spent two hours on that. (laughs) The claims of his life don't match the aims of his life. Is that true of you? Is that true of me? And here's here's a heavier question, if you will. Does Jonah's response make him disobedient? Yes. Does it also make him a liar? I would say, yeah. He says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God. That means to reverence the Lord, to fear God, to understand who he is and who we are. And so he's telling them, I'm a Hebrew and I serve and fear God. I'm not going to do what he tells me, but that's what I'm going to declare to you. That doesn't match. So it makes him both disobedient and, even though it sounds strong, a liar or inaccurate. (laughs) Whatever makes you feel better. Verse 10, church. Then the men became extremely frightened and they said to him, how could you do this? How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of God because he told them as much. Because here's what happens. When we stop fearing, we start fleeing. When we stop fearing God, then we flee 
from God. We flee from his presence. We flee from the way that he asks us to live and commands us to live when we stop fearing him. It's why I believe we got to be on our knees in prayer. we got to be with one another in fellowship. we got to have our nose stuck in the word of God so that we continue to develop a healthy fear so that we don't flee. If we don't fear, we will flee. So I ask you this. In this verse, they said, how could you do this? They said to him, how could, how could? they were shocked. They were dismayed. So I ask you, who do you allow to ask you, how could you do this? When you flee from God, when you disobey the Lord, who gets to knock on your door and say, how could you do this? How? How is it possible that you did this? The sailors were in shock and horror concerning Jonah's disobedience. Church, are we no longer in shock and horror at disobedience? Are we no longer in shock or horror at disobedience? See, I think we're verging on the opposite end. It seems that we are only in shock and horror when others dare address our sin and disobedience. When I go to my brother and say, how could you do this? And you say, who are you to get into my business? That's the shock and horror is when somebody actually calls out our sin. Is that what we've evolved to? Is this just fun stuff or what? Gosh, I love this. Verses 11 and 12, church. So they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become, become calm for us? I think that's a great question. It's like they're closing the deal. For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm. I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. This is another great question. What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? And so I ask, what storms have we created for others? What storms have we, in our disobedience, created for others? What should we do with you? What should we do with you to make those storms calm for us? What should you do with me? What storms have we created for others? I wonder what you and I need to do in order to calm the seas of others. Here's what's interesting. (laughs) Take note that Jonah didn't even offer to jump overboard on his own. He said, throw me over. I ain't going to do it. You can do it. Isn't that funny? You know, this will all calm down if I'm thrown over. It's like, dude, jump. Right? Like, you've clearly identified yourself as the problem. We've been, you know, throwing cargo over. We've been praying. We've been going crazy. Like, he wants to throw you over? Isn't that funny? Like, even in his repentance, he's, like, not all completely there. Like, yeah, throw me over. (laughs) I just think that's fantastic. So even though it looks like Jonah's coming around, he's kind of still holding back a little bit. It'll all calm down if you throw me over, but if not, I'll be over here in this recliner. (laughs) Smoking a cigar, no doubt. Oh, man. Verse 13. However, the men rowed desperately. They don't even do that. He tells them what to do. They don't do it. They're they're nice, right? These guys are nice. The men rowed desperately to return to land, but they couldn't. The sea was becoming even stormier against them. We see here a kind act for one displaying an unkind act. I just think that's pretty, pretty awesome. 
But the Lord resisted their good intentions. They had good intentions. They're like, no, we're not going to throw you over. We're going to row. We're going to row you to shore. But the Lord resisted their good intentions. Those were good intentions. And the Lord didn't give in to their good intentions. He declined the obvious for the miraculous. And so we get to sit here and talk about it. God does that sometimes. He He declines the obvious for the miraculous. Because the obvious, we point to us. The miraculous, we point to him. Additionally, it wasn't just about calming the storm for these sailors. Jonah had an appointment in Nineveh. So getting him to land is not the destination. Jonah's got to get to Nineveh. (laughs) Verse 14, church. Then they called on the Lord and they said, we earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. It's sad that Jonah's disobedience has others pleading for their lives. Jonah's disobedience has others pleading for their lives. It's not a good day when those who are far from the Lord are more God-fearing than those who are close to the Lord. That's a bad day. (laughs) Not Jonah's finest day. Verse 15. So they picked up Jonah, (laughs) threw him into the sea, arguably two verses too late, but nonetheless. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and what do you know? The sea stopped its raging. See, sometimes the Lord will not allow us to come alongside someone, like they tried to in verse 13. The Lord won't allow us to come alongside someone because we are simply to throw them back into the Lord's hands. Sometimes that happens. It's like, Lord, I don't know what to do. And he says, I got it, I got it. Just throw them back to me. Sometimes we need to maybe do that sooner with some people, right? Because sometimes we come alongside some people because we, we think it's about us. It makes us feel good. And God says, just throw them back to me. My wife's so good at that. I used to always think that it was my responsibility to make everybody righteous and better. And she's like, yeah, you you stink at it. So throw them back in. Throw them back in and let God do it. Hmm. We also see here that the calmness for others was determined by what seems to be a harsh action. The calmness for others took place because of what seemed like a harsh reaction for these guys to throw him over. But that's what brought calm. Sometimes we call that tough love. The Lord will do that. He'll use what seems to be harsh things to bring calm for others. But remember, Jonah had an appointment in Nineveh. Verse 16. the The men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Wow. The power of God to use a rebellious Jonah to draw others to himself. Like, who can do that? In the midst of all this rebellion, God draws men that don't know him to himself. But what's interesting is because of one incident, right here in verse 16, because of one incident of the Lord's greatness, because of one incident, of his greatness, it says that they feared the Lord greatly, they offered a sacrifice, and they made vows because of one thing. And these people don't know him. How much more do we and should we do the same when we see God move and move and move and move and move? How much more should we then be fearing the Lord greatly, offering sacrifices and making vows to God? They saw one occurrence of this, and they did that. How much more should we? And lastly, verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and he was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. 
Again, I remind you, the real surprise is the real surprise that Jonah was swallowed by a fish or that Jonah clearly defied the Lord's command and direction. R.T. Kendall says this. He says, the belly of the fish is not a happy place to live, but it's a good place to learn. (laughs) Isn't that great? Yeah. Never want to go there. The Lord may swallow us up for a period of time so as to renew our commission to serve him and to serve his purposes. He may swallow us up for a time to renew our commitment to serve him and to serve his purposes.